Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. That verse from Psalm 89, verse 52, helps us echo in our thoughts today the goodness and greatness of God and the privilege that's ours to come together and to offer worship unto Him. As we have prayed and sung and enjoyed fellowship already, what a grand day it has been even to this point. And as we have opportunity to delve deeply and to challenge ourselves with the character of His eternal will, perhaps we can be benefited and increased in our faith as we study His Word. Speaking of the element of faith, that is the subject of this lesson today, as you noted by announcement a moment ago, as Brother Joy did that for us, study of faith. In fact, isn't it interesting to contemplate the character of faith from the following viewpoint? Perhaps in the world of religion there are few terms that are spoken of more often, more frequently than that of faith. It would appear and seem that those who are at least interested in some way in religion understand the character and the need of faith. To note with me some of the things about it, though, God, too, echoes its importance. The word faith, as it occurs in the Greek, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, occurs some 247 times in the Word of God. And isn't it amazing? All but two are in the New Testament. All but two are in the New Testament. That helps us understand that when it comes to understanding faith, comprehending ultimately, vitally, and finally what faith is, the 27 books that comprise the New Testament form for us the final say-so of God on the subject of faith. It is to that book we will turn our attention this morning. What does the New Testament teach about it? It would not do us at all any harm to recognize that men often have stated their own thoughts about faith. They have in so doing misunderstood it, misapprehended it, misapplied it, and in their definitions they have often caused great difficulties and problems for those ultimately interested in learning about it. However, as we study the New Testament, God is not subject to those errors. He is not subject to those mistakes. And in these 27 New Testament books, we have the final authoritative subject on the subject of faith. I'd invite you this morning to turn with me and look at an interesting journey. We will use, in fact, the very thought of Hebrews 11. It would go without saying to a point that of those 260 chapters of the New Testament, there is one that is called the faith chapter of the Bible. It is the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. In fact, in that chapter alone, we have a monumental treatise on the subject of faith. So much you and I could glean and learn. Today we will learn six lessons about faith based on that chapter. And these lessons are not arbitrary, of course, but some of them will challenge the very character of what men appreciate or so they think faith to be. God defines it for us in this chapter. Let us then appreciate this. The central fact and feature of the New Testament's teaching might be summed up in this phrase. Salvation is by faith through grace. To note that statement made by Paul in Ephesians 2, that salvation, in fact, involves both grace and faith. Men have often used that idea, that doctrine. Today, let's look at the faith aspect of it. What is faith? To what does it point? How is it gleaned? Where does it lead to? What makes it up? If you begin to notice with me this chapter, let us notice the first of the lessons that we might well glean. 
A moment ago was read in our hearing from verse 6 of this chapter. Verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. To note that verse points us to the first lesson we might glean, and that is that without faith it's impossible to please him. Faith is necessary to be pleasing to God. It's not an optional matter. It is not a light matter. It's not something that can be taken or left. Faith is absolutely essential. The chapter begins in verse 2 by noting that it was through the agency of faith that the elders obtained a good report. In what way did those elders of long days gone by obtain a good report, a pleasing character, an approved disposition in the eyes of God? It was only through faith. It was not merely by a conscience. It was not merely by a fact of living a good life. It was not merely by a thought of living what one might say a good way toward one's fellow man. It was only through and by faith. And today we should understand too that sincerity alone per se or that the thoughts or the kind dispositions toward another per se is insufficient. Those elders obtained a good report only through faith. That verse we noted in verse number 6. Notice another way that might well have been rendered. I've listed it for, for us for our consideration. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God, for it is necessary for those that would come to God to believe in Him and to believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Isn't that word impossible a forceful term? It by its very usage implies that there is an absolute essentiality. This ingredient that's under discussion cannot be substituted for. It cannot be replaced in any form or fashion. One cannot ever be pleasing to God without it. No wonder faith is so vital. No wonder it's so significant and so important. One can't please God aside from its usage, aside from its agency, aside from what it's able to make possible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Notice some of the texts used in the Bible that point us to that very nature. It was in the days of the long ago Habakkuk, that little minor prophet that we remember from the end of the Old Testament. In Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the Prophet said, speaking again the very words of the God of heaven, the just shall live by faith. That may sound like a New Testament idea, but that was Habakkuk in the days of the Old Testament, written over 500 years before our Savior was born in that manger in Bethlehem. The just shall live by faith. So significant is that statement, so far-reaching are its consequences, it's quoted verbatim three times in the New Testament. Three times. First, we encounter it in Romans 1, verse 17, where there, as he began his comments to the church in Rome, Paul said that just shall live by faith. In Galatians 3, verse 11, in the heart of that Galatian epistle to those brethren, Paul again reminded them that the just shall live by faith. And interestingly enough, the Hebrew writer also uses that same text. It's no wonder that it's important to learn about faith. 
we can't be pleasing to God without it. And it stands to reason if we can't be pleasing to Him without it, without it, one can never entertain the hope of an eternal home in heaven. That perhaps leads us to ask, given that faith is that important, what is faith then? We have read about an entity that's so vital, it's time to learn more about exactly what is it. This chapter also gives us some details about that. It all begins, in fact, with the opening verse. What, in fact, is faith? Let us read that verse together. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Man may, in fact, try his best to define faith. And you may appeal to Webster's Dictionary or a Collegiate Dictionary, and you may find a half-page definition or more on the subject of the item faith. In one verse, God has expounded it to the extent that perhaps extends to such great levels and great means. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance... That has an interesting idea and meaning of its own accord. The word substance, it means the following. It means the conviction of, the assurance of. Notice then that the opening text here says that faith is the assurance of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. Let us notice that idea is this. Many things of course, are such that one can hope for them. But once you actually arrive at them and you possess them and you have them, the element of faith does not describe that degree of association any longer. The inspired writer says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for. There are many things physically that you and I see and we trust because we see it, we touch it, we feel it. But rather, faith is used to form a bedrock appreciation of that which one can never see. While you and I are in this flesh, we will never see heaven. But there isn't one of us here that doubt for a minute it exists. How do you know it exists? Have you ever seen it? No. I know it through the eye of faith, and so do you. Not one of us here have ever seen hell, and we hope we never do. Someone may ask, well, how do you know it exists? Have you ever seen it? Have you touched it? Have you tasted it? Have you felt it? No. I know by faith. All of us recognize the vitality of faith. It gives us an appreciation for the existence of things just as surely as if we could taste them or touch them, but we sense them through faith. That's the way faith operates. The verse closes by saying not only this, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of that which is not seen. Notice, that word evidence, it means conviction, it means verification, it means proof. We often rest highly upon that thought of proof. In a court of law, when one of those lawyers has ironclad proof, that case is basically finished. Notice, faith gives us the means by which we prove things that we can't see. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it amazing then that this opening definition is quite removed from what men may define faith to be, isn't it? You may consult various sources by men, and faith can be defined in any host of ways, but God said 
This is its definition, and to aid us in that, he will now give us example after example to illustrate what faith is and what it does. Think with me just a bit about the character of that nature, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To speak about that alone leads us to the next major lesson. Keep that thought in mind as we frequently refer to it, but let's see it exemplified in some of these things that follow. Nextly, faith. Given that it's so important, one cannot please God without it. And given that we've defined it in verse 1, the next obvious question is how do we obtain it? Where does it come from? From whence may we have it? Thankfully, this is answered. Consider with me the following ideas from this very chapter itself. Faith comes through the revelation of God. Ultimately, that is its only source. Consider these examples that help illustrate that point. We noted now that faith was defined. In order to see clearly where it comes from, let's begin in verse 7. Verse number 7 of Hebrews 11. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Let us pause for a moment and ask these questions. We have read about these examples of both Noah and Abraham. And we've read about the fact that through faith they accomplished various and sundry things. Consider this with me. In what way did Noah receive the information which by faith he acted upon? It was through the revelation of God. Had Noah ever seen it rain? Had he ever seen a flood? No. The text of Genesis chapter 6 and 7 informs us that Noah lived at a day and time when as yet it had not rained. And yet when God informed him that a flood of waters was going to soon come, not for a moment did he hesitate. By the revelation of God, he received information and proceeded to act thereupon. That's faith. Notice that it was not the fact that Noah had previously seen a flood that led him to act. It wasn't the fact that some scientific scholars of his day predicted by weather patterns a flood and he acted. God revealed to him something admittedly that he'd never seen, but he did not doubt it. Rather, he acted by faith to then do that which God had commanded. Or look at Abraham. We read in Genesis 12 that God gave him instruction to go out to a place. He did not know where he was going. Now, given that idea, could it be said then that Abraham chose to move to this location because he understood it would be better for his physical welfare? Was the climate nicer? Was there a better job to be had there? Was there some reason whereby his family could be more successful? No. God simply said to go, and Abraham did it. Is it not then the case that in those two examples, as others that might be noted, faith is such that it relies upon the revelation of God as its source. It comes in no other fashion or means. Notice also what else can be said. 
Inasmuch as God reveals the Bible over and again informs us then that God, through His revealed Word, His will He reveals to man, is the source then of faith. Did not Paul say in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God? Paul, then, what is the ultimate source book of faith? It is the hearing of the Word of God. The becoming aware of what the will of God makes known to the human family. That is the source of faith. Notice some other texts that lead us to that same conclusion. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, the ancient writer Solomon there simply said, As we are given instruction not to lean on ourselves, he said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Or in Acts 6, verse 7, where there in the early days of the church, even a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The word faith is utilized, and notice they were obedient earlier in that verse to the thing that had been told to them, but that was God's word. Thus, what did the inspired writer Luke say? They were obedient to the faith, but the faith was made known by the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, we see on that occasion that Paul directly wrote to the Thessalonians and made note to them that their faith had been sounded out not only in Achaia and Macedonia, but everywhere that the word of God had been made known. Notice, he linked the word of God and their faith. Faith hinges upon, is based on, is a presentation of the beautiful nature of God's revealed word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Notice that again teaches us a very great thing about the character of what faith is and what it is not. But maybe it whets our appetite for the fourth observation as well. In addition to these three, that faith is defined, that faith is essential to please God, and that faith comes from His revealed will. Notice what else faith, else faith is. It relies upon a complete trust in its object. That thought perhaps man senses somewhat more clearly than some of these other things. Notice again, lean not upon thine own understanding. Do not place confidence or trust, but rather recognize that it is in God. Perhaps Noah would serve as a fantastic example. Even though he'd never seen that rain come or the flood waters rise, nonetheless, verse 7 informs us that when that warning was given, he proceeded to place complete trust in that which God had revealed. He did not question it. He did not doubt it. He did not argue with God or try to persuade him otherwise. He simply proceeded through a rather long work, we might mention, to build an ark. Today, isn't it sometimes the case that though men may look upon God's word and say, well, it can't mean that. My grandmother didn't read it that way. My parents didn't read it that way. God couldn't have meant that. Notice, Noah simply took on faith what God said, and that ended it. No wonder it is said of him in Genesis 6.22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Today, you and I cannot be said to live by faith unless we take this book at what it says. We can't read into it what we wish it said. We can't read into it what others may tell us it says. 
We have to read this as God delivered it, for that is faith. And thus we place complete trust in what it is saying. Though, just like Noah, we may not have seen it, we trust it because God said it, and that ought to be enough. Isn't it true that as we read example after example of these in this very chapter who lived by and through faith, their trust was in the very one who had stated it, and he never lies. Did it not say of him in Titus 1 verse 2 that God cannot lie? And thus whatever he has revealed is absolutely truthful. It will come to pass precisely as he has stated it. The completeness then of that trust in him reminds us of some other examples in this chapter. We've mentioned Noah. Let's look at Abraham, but in another stage of his life. You might remember that he, God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. At the time that promise was made, we might expect that they were so excited about the fruition of it, and yet God did not bring that to fruition as soon as they might have liked. First of all, Ishmael was born, we might remember. And then a quite a number of years passed before Isaac ultimately was born. In fact, a decade and a half passed from the time God made that promise until the time that the son of promise Isaac was born. Notice, though, that even once he was born, God said, Abraham, you take thine only son, the son of promise, and you go to Mount Moriah, and you offer him as a sacrifice to me. I suspect as a parent there's not one of us here, but what wouldn't, couldn't help but ask God, are you sure about that? This is the boy you promised me, and now you want me to take his life? The text says, Abraham loaded the loaded the donkeys, he took two servants, and he went. What a man of faith. And all the while, the Hebrew writer would have this to say in verse 18 and 19. Of whom it was said that an Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he was received in a figure. Abraham's faith was sufficiently strong. He was not only ready to do that which God commanded, he had every assurance that if it were part of God's plan, he'd raise that boy back to life. Talk about faith. The absolute trust in the one who is its object. Abraham trusted God. He had faith in him. Our faith today should extend also to recognize that whatever God has said, the matter is then settled. It is our job to humbly submit to it and to do it. To obey that which he has affirmed leads us directly to perhaps the next object, the next idea. Notice that statement of full trust and full belief is a very real part of our life in Christ in the New Testament. What is that statement that is made prior to a person's baptism? I believe that Jesus Christ is a Son of God with all my heart. That statement is one of full confidence, full trust, full assurance of the one who is its object. Can we not then see that our life by faith is also described in general features of the New Testament? And not only that, our life should strive to be one of faith just like these Old Testament characters. In the next element, though, we noted just a moment ago the character of what faith is. Notice one other thing that it, that it does. It involves action. Without a question, 
of the observations that we make today, this one is the most misunderstood by the human family. By and large, it is absolutely the case that most will think that faith is a mental ascent. That faith is just a mental agreement we have. That faith simply involves a mental understanding. It is not so. Notice time and again what is affirmed by faith in this chapter. I've listed just a few of the things for you. Some 16 times in this chapter the phrase by faith or through faith occurs. But in every case the sentence doesn't cease or stop at that point. Rather, notice the verbs are employed. You and I perhaps have often noted these and read them and appreciated them with great power. Perhaps the first one to note with me, verses 3 and 4. It's on the wrong one. Sometimes computers can have those glitches, but maybe we can move onward from that point. Faith involves action. Of those 16 times that that phrase occurs in that chapter, notice in every instance. Verse 4, by faith, what is it Abel did, he offered? Notice later, what is it in verse 8 that Abraham did, he obeyed? Notice also, what is it that Isaac did, he blessed? What is it that Joseph did through faith? He gave commandment. What is it that Moses did through faith? He refused and he partook. What is it that those in Joshua 6 did through faith? The walls ultimately fell. What about those that subdued kingdoms or those that wrought great righteousness? The idea is in every instance faith was able by virtue of its action to accomplish that which was the will of God. Faith, you see, is not exemplified. It does not exist apart from action. It is not a mere mental ascent. It is not just an understanding. It is not a mere recognition of what is in the mind. Faith involves action. What is it that was said in James 2 of this very idea? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yet a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. How is it then that a person's faith is appreciated by the works they do? How is it that a person's faith is made manifest by the works they do? And thus apart from those works, apart then from those actions that rely upon the element of faith, there is no faith. As that point is made, Again, many men would disagree with it. Notice back in Acts what faith leads us to understand. The book of Acts gives us the beautiful beginning of the church. It relates to us the early explosion of New Testament Christianity as it spread across the Roman Empire. But notice also how faith is defined even in that book. Hebrews is not alone in associating faith with works. Notice as we look briefly at some of the ideas in Acts, we might begin by noting in particularly Acts 2. 
It is the case that there when they heard what Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart, Acts 2.37. But interestingly enough, later as Peter recounted that very event, in Acts 11.17 he said they believed, and that word rolled up in them faithfulness. Faith went with works even on that occasion, and it always does. Now there's some other instances in that same book. Perhaps one of the most amazing in Acts 16. On that occasion, as Paul and his companion Silas preached to that jailer, isn't it amazing that he first said, Believe with all thy heart, and thou shalt be saved. There are many who would immediately stop at that point, but the Bible doesn't. What is involved in that belief? What is involved in that element of faith? Next verse, the next two verses, in fact, inform us that Paul and Silas preached unto him the word of God, and then, and only then, did he proceed to act upon it. He was baptized that night, somewhere between the jailhouse and his house. That faith emanated in works, and apart from those works, the faith was not manifested. Even so, it remains for you and me today. In Acts 14.2, we see yet another example of how that faith emanates or produces and in fact is empty without works. The whole subject of faith and works is made far more complicated by men than God ever made it. In fact, we notice that faith without works is simply dead. But we notice that works must be motivated by faith. For indeed, that's its incentive. To note these points, these ideas, perhaps leads us to notice that one final comment, the sixth one we can certainly make. As we have looked briefly at these elements in faith, it helps us realize that our faith is so very important and oh how powerful it is. I listed just a few of the verses that you and I can notice. I specifically listed verse 33. Notice that what faith was able to accomplish in years gone by what is it that faith can accomplish in your life? What about the faith in mine? To think about that element of faith takes us back immediately to 1 John 4, verse 4, as well as chapter 5, verse 4 of that book. Greater is the one in us than is he that is in the world. And what's more, what is it John said is able to overcome the world? Faith. Sometimes we sing a song in our songbook, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. You and I live in a world that often presents such ugliness. We realize that with Satan in control, it presents evil and ungodliness, and it is only through and by faith that we can overcome it. We can't do it by ourselves. That faith must be such that is complete confidence and trust in the one who can and already has overcome it. Indeed, greater is he that is in us than is he that is in the world. Would not it be fair to summarize some concluding remarks about the element of faith? Faith is absolutely essential to please God. We've learned that it is the confidence in things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. We furthermore learn that it involves the complete confidence and trustworthiness in the one who is the object of that faith. That faith comes from the Word of God and nothing else. We know that it involves action. It can't be lifeless and dead. What's more, it is so very powerful. 
it can transform not only the life of the one involved, but as that life interacts with others, it can touch them in a dramatic and powerful way. What about my faith in yours today? It's no wonder the apostles pleaded, Lord, increase our faith, Luke 17, 5. What about your faith? As we each strive to mature, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we should strive that faith to deepen and to grow. Has your faith grown as it should? Do you need to perhaps come today and let that faith begin growing in the first place? Are you a Christian? Are you one who has fully and humbly submitted to the opening statements of obedience to the gospel? We could aid you in accomplishing that today. If you have, but you have become unfaithful, you have come to the point that your life does not exemplify the things we read of in Hebrews 11. If you need to make that change today, understand your life can become one that is a life of faith. A life governed, guided by the character of this faith. And we could aid you today by praying for your forgiveness and that God would again reinstate to you that great position and place of faithfulness in his kingdom. If we could be of any assistance to anyone today in a public way, as we each think about our faith, remember we must ask, are we in the faith? The answer to that is no. Please let it be known in a public way so that we can assist you in making it right with God. If we can be of any help in that way, will you not come while together we stand and while we sing?